I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to welcome you to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have a passion for how the prophetic gifts can change the world around us. They make simple, everyday people like you and I a catalyst for life-changing experiences with the supernatural. On this podcast, I have friends from all different backgrounds who each have a powerful story to tell about how the prophetic is shaping their world. I invite you to be part of the conversation. This is Exploring the Prophetic. Welcome to Exploring the Prophetic with Sean Bowles. I am so happy about what we're talking about today because it's one of my favorite themes, which is transformation of cities. And we have on Chris Valentin, Bethel's very own resident prophet, and also one of the main senior leaders and directors of the school. He's such a revolutionary in the way that he thinks. And, you know, Bethel is a very successful church because they've actually believe that they're supposed to touch the culture around them. So they've been involved. They've got their dirt, their feet dirty, their hands dirty with, with uh, acts of service in the city. They've actually taken up a lot of community service stuff. They've done things like make videos for their city. They've made like the video that's like the tourist video for their city. They've done so many projects. They took over the, the whole event convention center and they've leased it from the city and it made it profitable. And this isn't like they're doing conferences there all the time. It's actually a secular venue where there's concerts every weekend and they're running it. Their team is managing it. They're doing so much for their city. That's such a prototype of out of the box thinking for how to partner with God over cities. And I love how Jesus, you know, I've been on this journey for years where seeing him that whenever describes his inheritance. It's usually a region or a city. It's a people group. He speaks to the churches in the book of Revelation about, he speaks to the seven cities. He speaks in the Old Testament about inheriting cities. I love this theme. And Chris, as a prophetic man, as a prophet, has actually been hearing God's voice over their city and has has helped the church gain so much impact or influence in the city so the city can have authority, so the city can actually change statistics right now, that I think it's a really important interview. I think you're going to really enjoy exploring the prophetic over how God can transform a city. Let's get into the interview. Hey, this podcast of Exploring the Prophetic is going to be one of my favorites because I have with me Chris Valentin. And for those of you who don't know him, I just kind of introed him for a minute. But my personal experience with Chris, I just think he's one of the greatest guys to talk to about just forward thinking in the supernatural because he he he's brilliant. He has a mindset that like no one else on the entire planet has. The way he thinks through processes is one of my favorites. When you hear him preach or teach, you find yourself in it. He's totally self-deprecating all the time, which helps me a lot to relate to anybody. But at the same time, some things are happening to Chris that aren't happening to anyone else I know in the entire world. So Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, it's so great being on the podcast, Sean, and I have the greatest respect for you. Oh, you you show it well. Mm-hmm. I just feel so honored by you guys. Bethel is is my favorite church in the world, and I love my church expression fifty eight that I helped found, which I would say would be my home church. So it's my favorite church. It's like a tie because I mean every time I go to Bethel, I'm like, I just feel my culture. It delivered me of any religious tension that I had in my life <laughs> by just being a part of your guys's world. And I'm just so grateful. I think we for had you. you like 10 times in 12 months last year, right? <laughs> so Something like that. I think you spoke I to our there. congregation I, I more often there. than I did. It was like, great. <laughs> so amazing. No, so fun. It was really fun. And next year I have a couple trips to schedules. It's fun. This year, I think I, I, I was, a. Uh, I think I only came out one time this whole entire year. So oh, next year no. I'll have a couple times and I'm coming out at least three or four, which is really fun. Probably having a Sean withdrawal. <laughs> That's probably now. good. I came too many times <laughs> in a row. Well, hey, today we get to talk about uh, just your, you have a, you and I share a mutual passion, which is seeing cities 
become what God's dream was for them. Yeah. And you're so good at articulating this in a language, but you guys in writing, a lot of people don't know this, the stats of writing, but before Bethel emerged, Reading was struggling and having a really hard time. And I'm not saying it's all on Bethel, but Bethel's played a significant contributing part to dreaming with the city, dreaming with God over the city. And yeah. you particularly have been there at key moments to um, kind of deliver Reading into some a handful of experiences that have changed the course of the city. So start us out there. Like, tell us about your city. Well, let me start out by saying, uh, you know, my life verse uh, verses have been Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, which is, you know, those are the verses that say, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me, preach the good news to the afflicted, yes. bind up the brokenhearted. And there's a whole, like, there's three verses of, you know, restoring the captive, releasing the prisoner, you know, healing the brokenhearted, so on and so forth. And then it, the last, the f- verse 4 says, then they shall return and rebuild the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations and rebuild ruined cities. Who is they? they? Who are the they shall? It's the that. people who are captive, broken, you know, depressed, discouraged, you know, in, in prison. Um, you know, those are the people. And I was one of those. You know, I was yeah. the guy who had a nervous breakdown that lasted three and a half years. I became very extremely demonized. Wow. And, um, and I, in those years, in that, in that season of brokenness, the Lord actually gave me the, those scriptures and said, These, this is going to be your life call. Wow. And then um, when I was uh, probably, I was about two years out of the nervous breakdown. So that would have been some, you know, some 40, you know, almost 40 years ago, probably 38 years ago. Wow. I was in the bathtub. <clears throat> I always take. I always have this clawfoot bathtub. Wherever we we move, we end up with another clawfoot bathtub. It's kind of like the, some kind of tradition. And uh, I was in my clawfoot bathtub and just laying there, you know, praying like I always did for an hour. You know, Kathy would make dinner while I get a chance to come home from work and just have a an hour break before you know I kind of come in and engage with the family. And uh, and the Lord walked through the wall and He began to talk to me about my future. And wow. for an hour. With my eyes, I saw Jesus, and he wow. and uh, he told me all this stuff. And you got to understand, like I just come out of a nervous breakdown. I'm living in a little town called Weaverville. I mean, think about it, <laughs> Weaverville. You know, you can't even sound like you have an education when you're from Weaverville. Oh you know, and uh, and I'm working in a in a repair shop, and uh, the Lord begins to talk to me about my future. And uh, he told me things that I, you know, to this day I've not shared the whole vision. But one of the things he said to me is, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. You're going to speak to governors and mayors and, and prime ministers and princes and, and presidents. And you're, gonna, you're going to direct the course of history. And, and, um, and told me this whole crazy thing. You know, and I'm like, you know, I'm overwhelmed with like, how could that be? And, and then as the Lord, uh, he, the Lord turned in the vision, the Lord turned to go and he stopped and he turned back to me and he looked at, right in my eyes and he said, history will tell us if you believe me. Wow. History will tell us if you believe me. And I was like, I mean, I, was, I had never had an encounter before. And so, you know, and I, I learned some things in that encounter that I think are really important for just even this podcast. And the first thing is I learned that God, he actually had a purpose for my life that was a thousand times bigger than anything I could ever imagine. 
Yes. And the second thing that really impacted me in that in that conversation with the Lord is he said, history will tell us if you believe me. And I, I realized like God had a purpose for my life, but somehow my, you know, connecting my will to his purpose, it was, was necessary to actually fulfill my purpose. Wow. And so that began it for me. And, and from that day on, you know, I, uh, I mean, nothing happened like lightning, no lightning bolts, you know, I didn't walk out glowing, you know, Kathy didn't put a veil over my head or anything like that, but I just walked out of there and I'm like, wow, I mean, God's, I, I'm, I'm thinking like my idea of life was I'm going to have the best automotive repair shop in the world. That was my, that was my goal in life. I mean, sincerely like raise my family, have, have a great marriage and have the best repair shop in the world. Wow. And, and I started, and that, from that day on, I began to realize that God's plan and vision for me was so much grander than that. And so that, you know, that kind of, that just like set in me, like I'm supposed to speak to, you know, mayors and governors and princes. I'm like, why would they even invite me? I, you know, I've never been past high school. What would I do with them, you know? Totally. And, and what, the, to, to go backwards yeah. real fast, though, is just saying, yeah. seeing and hearing that story, and I know that part of your story, but our listeners don't. And I just think you've threaded, you've been one of the pioneers of spiritual identity. And it's come out of this place of deep, you know, a deep encounter with God that's could be delusional for somebody else, but because it came into relationship with God and it came into that core place. You, I mean, Bill one time said about you, he said, you know, for me, my, my course as a fifth generation pastor or whatever is set. My trajectory is set. Like I, I don't have to do much and not fail. But Chris came from this background that there was no way he could succeed unless yeah. God entered into his life. And so I have such a deep appreciation and honor for him. I remember Bill saying that like before I met you, it was 2006 before I met you, I think. And I was like, that's incredible. Cause that's what's woven into all your students, your life versus I see it in the school of ministry. Yeah. I see it. And when you preach, so go back to the story. I just wanted to interject there. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I, you know, I'm uh, the Lord told me, this is three years ago. Um, I, I had an opportunity to get an earned PhD through uh, this this um, this university, and the Lord said to me, um, "You can't get a PhD." I said, "Why not?" He said, "Because you are a sign of what I can do with weakness." Wow! And if you got a PhD, people would think you can actually do this, and we both know you can't. And so the Lord, like obviously, you know, we're 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 working on starting a university right now, so I'm not against education. <laughs> But the Lord's like, no, no, you personally, Chris Valentin, cannot have letters after your name because people wow. will think that's why, that's why you're able to do this. That is so, so awesome. Yeah, so I, I think, Sean, so we're talking about cultural transformation, right? Yeah. But, but so much of cultural tr- transformation, people are like, well, that's not, about, that's not about me. That's for somebody else. And I'm like, no, have you ever been broken? Have you ever been captive? Have you ever been depressed, discouraged? You know, have you ever been dysfunctional? Well, the, when the Lord, you know, when He heals us, He sends us back into our city to heal our city. And so, this is so much into the, wow. in, in the heart of the Lord, you know. So, we began, so this kind of began a journey. And of course, you know, in the midst of all of that, you know, I met Bill Johnson. And, and you know, Bill Johnson was teaching us, you know, that the only prayer the Lord ever gave us to pray you know, we all call the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And I remember like it was probably 10 years into being with Bill, and I've been with him now 39 years. It, Bill, Bill asked the question of the congregation one day, when Jesus told us to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven, did he want us to believe that or not? Wow. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, like the reality of, wait a second, we spend all of our time trying to get people to heaven, which is important. But are we supposed to get heaven in people? Are we supposed to bring heaven to earth? Because it feels like the emphasis of Jesus wasn't us going to heaven, but it was getting the kingdom to be in us and expressed through us. So good. And so I, I feel like this is such a huge theme right now that the Lord is like, yes, if you get the if you get the kingdom in you, then of course you're going to get in the kingdom. You're going to be in the kingdom. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, conversations around, you know, yes, I'm saved, but I behave like this and all this kind of stuff, you know. But my deal is like, Jesus was, wasn't just trying to get us saved. He was trying to extend the kingdom of God into our lives so that we can, could be extend, you know, could be extended through our lives. And then the question is, what does it look like? Like, what does it look like when a superior kingdom is expressed through you and me? Like, it's just amazing, you know? Absolutely. When you guys have some phenomenal stories, because, you know, a lot of times when people think of transformation, they're thinking of like Los Angeles, New York, Paris, whatever. Yeah. What can God do in a big city? And a lot of times it starts in a, uh, a smaller, just like revival. Revival typically happens in a small place. And yeah. God could have done what he was doing in Reading in LA in the same state or San Francisco. But something that you guys grabbed hold of, we're learning from. I, mean, I believe you guys have impacted so many culture or so much of the culture of church in the state of California. But we're learning from, and you guys have really tangible stories of how there's yeah. there's change. So tell us, like, take us on a journey of one or two of those stories. Well, so what happened was, you know, I was teaching on cultural transformation one Sunday. This is probably the profoundest, you know, the most profound impact I've had in our city started this way. I was teaching on apostles transform culture because I was learning that, you know, like, you know, everyone's like, I want to be an apostle. I was like, what, whatever, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, what is an apostle? And, you know, you know, there, you know, uh, Sean, there's this big swirl in the charismatic world about what's an apostle. And, yeah. you know, is that, you know, a guy who controls everybody or is that a woman who has power? You know, what do they plant churches? <laughs> yeah. And I, I just did this whole study on apostles writing this book, Heavy Rain. And I learned Which is that. amazing, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I learned that apostles, one of the signs of an apostle is that they transform culture. Yes. And because the word apostle means to be sent, but it also mean, but it, but it means to be sent from a place to another place to, to reproduce in the place you're sent to what you were sent from until the place you're sent to looks like the place you're sent from, which we simply call cultural transformation. Yeah. And so, you know, and so I, I've been, you know, teaching on this whole like, apostolic age that we're in and that and you know and i so i was gonna do this um i was i was doing this series on apostles transform culture on a sunday morning and so i had you know i had worked on my 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 message and all that on sunday on saturday night and i'm on my way to work and i pick up the newspaper that was thrown at our front gate and and it uh i put it in my front seat and it opens up to this the story and the front page and i look over while i'm driving to work and it says Redding, California, one of the worst cities in America to live in. Wow. That was the that was the title of the article uh, sixteen years ago, fifteen years ago. Wow! And I'm like, and and I'm teaching on 
you know, apostles transform culture. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's going to be hard to do, you know, with this article, today's article, Sunday morning. So I take the article and I read it. It's about, it's a full page. It's the front page. It is the full front page of our newspaper that morning. Wow. And it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's the 10 uh, dynamics that they use to measure healthy cities of which out of the 10 in a city of 100,000 or less, which we are a city of 100,000 or less, we rated, we were at the bottom of the list in America as one of the worst cities under 100,000. Oh my gosh. And so I read the article to our congregation. Can you feel it, Sean? Yes. I read the article to our congregation, which takes about maybe five minutes. And I say, which is like all the statistics, like, you know, uh, the, the we have one of the highest unemployment rates. We have, you know, we have one of the highest divorce rates. You know, we have one of the highest uh, crime rates. And it just goes through this whole list of 10 things. And so, and, and I'm reading this this uh, article uh, to, to a congregation. This is my opening statement. And I say to our congregation, is this our problem? Wow. Or is the fact that it's not our problem the problem? That's In other so words, good. have we so evacuated from society have we so separate ourselves from society that we're supposed to be in the light of the world and we've become the light of the church and the church has become a basket? In other words, people, you know, there's all this, you know, you've probably heard this teaching too, you know, in the last days, the church is going to get brighter and brighter and the world's going to get darker and darker. Well, that's yeah. kind of funny because Jesus didn't say we're the light of the church. That's he said we're the light of the world. Good. So where's the light position in the world? Well, then how the heck? Could the church get brighter while the world gets darker? And what I'm getting at is we've created eschatology and theology around our failure. That's and we're so like, awesome. well, of course the world's supposed to get worse, you know, till Jesus comes back. I'm like, well, that's weird because Jesus said you were the light of the world. So how come the world's not getting brighter if we're getting brighter? So I read this to the congregation, which you can, you can feel it, right, Sean? Yeah. Like the place is like, you can hear a pin drop. And I say... Is this our problem or is the fact that it's not our problem the real problem with our city? And so that, and, and, then I, and then I share some stuff that morning. The next two days later, three days later is our senior leadership meeting. I read the article to our senior leaders, Bill Johnson's in the room, Danny Silk, all these guys. I read the article and I say, guys, is this our problem that our city's in trouble? Does it move us? Is, wow. Does it matter? Do we really care? And if we don't, maybe this is the problem. And everybody in the room that day was so moved. And we said, we have to engage our community on a practical level. So that morning, we decided that we would tithe to our city. So we began tithing to our city. Now, what does that look like, tithing, giving your city? How do you give your city money? Huh. <laughs> We went to the city manager and we said, "Hey, we want to give. You know, we every 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 uh, we we have already taken ten percent of our money. We we always have from forever, and we've given it away to other ministries, other places. And so we said to we sat with our city manager and we said we want to take ten percent of our ten percent. We want to take ten percent of our tithe, and we want to give it to the city to use to see our city improve." Wow. And the city manager was like, you know, he's like, wow, where do you want the money to go? And we go, we want the money, 
We want you, the city manager who we trust, to determine where the money should go. And we want an accounting of that money once a year. And we want permission to come once a year and ask for other projects because we want to take offerings. You know, we have 32 conferences a year. We want to take offerings in several of our conferences to help, you know, fund fund, uh, projects in our city. So that was the beginning of it, Sean. And I mean, I got to tell you, our city manager looked like he'd seen a ghost. Oh, I'm sure. He was like, okay, well. Wait, the church is being so, useful? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You mean you're not, you don't just want tax-free property? Exactly. Really? You don't want to just take up space and suck up air and, you know, and, and throw rocks at the city, you know, civic, you know, the civic center? <laughs> you don't want to just come to meetings and protest abortion and, exactly. you know, whatever. You're like, you actually want to, oh, you actually want to spend money helping the city. So that was the beginning, Sean, and and over the years, this last uh, the last uh, fifteen years, you know, we they were closing the Civic Auditorium. That's a very long story, but we uh, we ran some numbers and and figured out that we could. It's by the way, Civic Auditorium, city of ninety thousand people, eighty nine thousand people. It's the only auditorium we have in our entire city. Yeah. So think about it like this: like if you had only one park in your city. And they close the park. Like, there's nothing to, for people to do. Oh, it's so sad. So, we're like, yeah. We're like, where's, huh? What? This is the entertainment center. This is the only entertainment we have in our entire city. And so, we went and we said, like, you know, what can we do? And anyway, the short term, short answer is we ended up leasing it. The The city was losing $1.8 million a year after they spent $800,000 to run it. Wow. So, you know, basically 2.6 million it was costing them. We took the, the Civic over. We started a, a nonprofit, non-religious public benefit corporation. We put our school in there in the mornings and in the evenings and on the weekends we rented out. We ended up renting out more days than they had it rented out. We also paid $240,000 a year rent. And uh, so they don't lose 2.6 million dollars. They gained 240,000. There's more events there, not Christian events, secular events there than there was before we took it over. We spent a million dollars of our own money remodeling it, and there, there we've had several um, letters of accommodation saying this is the best this this civic auditorium has run in 43 years. And That's so, amazing. You know, it's just like do your works in such a way that people see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. Well, and one of the stories you may not you may not even think to tell is like um, when you guys started taking the students from your school. I mean, you guys have thousands of students yeah. and doing community service, service. just like like what prisoners do and what people do who get in trouble. And you guys said we're going to do that. We want to clean up the city. We want to help. And you, I mean, I remember hearing one of the reports in the staff and you guys were saving like it was a one point four million a year and yeah. community service costs. And I mean, your city has yeah. to take you seriously when 10% of the population goes to your church and you guys actually are actually caring about the city for real. I mean, yeah, 9,000 people <laughs> go to our church on any given weekend. I mean, yeah, we put 2,400 students to work in our city every week, Friday, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Wow. Yeah. So we're seeing, you know, we are, and, and you know, we're, we're, not, we're not coming into our city council saying, or city officials saying, you know, here's what we're going to do for you. We say, what are you dreaming about and how can we help you? And uh, it's just been, it's been crazy. Last, Sean, four months ago, um, our, our um, 
there's four police officers that do preventative crime, only four. And they were operating on a grant and we lost the grant. The city lost the grant. So Bethel uh, took an offering and gave them $500,000 and agreed to raise the other 700,000 for the next two years. So we're we're about 350,000 short of it right now. We're raising. So we took on the $1.2 million to keep those officers in jobs. And then this last week, we just agreed to provide, um, you know, segways and 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 thirty guys on rotation to uh, to police the uh, river trails and buy buying drones. We're buying drones, so we're putting up sixty thousand dollars and uh, just to uh, keep our city safe. Wow. To me, I think that you know we're talking about exploring the prophetic, and to me you know, God gave you a paradigm shift that actually, you know, you and Pastor Bill and all the the senior team, like you guys have embraced it. And one of the most beautiful and unique ways that's become a model, like God said, I don't want to keep this quiet. Like this has become a model to the the, the world around you and, and the nations. I just am so grateful that, that you guys are allowing yourself to be a model. I mean, I know you guys, none of you toot your own horn, but to hear these kinds of like motivations you've got based on following God's heart and rebuilding your city. What are the statistics now? Has it changed at all from 15 years ago? Yeah, it's been dramatically improving. We still have a long ways to go, Sean. As you know, we're in California, as you are. Yeah. And, you know, um, the the governor um, allowed uh, federal crimes to become misdemeanors, and they let prisoners uh, that were in prison, oh, uh, some of them doing yeah. lifetime terms, you know, they released them into our into our communities. And so, you know, in the midst of our transformation, we suddenly, you know, ended up with all of these former uh, ex-cons in our, and um, so, yeah, so, you know, that was a big kind of a, a negative shot in the arm and we're having to deal with that. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're seeing really good progress. We're very excited about the future. We're, um, we're seeing God move powerfully in our community and among our city council and we're very excited about it. And, you know, Sean, maybe we should like end this podcast by saying, like, you don't have to be a superhero to see your city change. Come on. Like, you, you, just, you just need to say, how can I help? And so I, I will say this. When we went to the city council and said, how can we help? It was such a breath of fresh air for them because most people are coming to city council with their complaints. They're, hey, why, why aren't you fixing this for me? How come you're not changing that? And when we showed up with how do we help, amazing difference. Wow, that was is happening in our city. Well, this is explained prophetic with Sean Bowles and Chris Valentin. Chris, how do we get a hold of you? You get a hold of me at Chris Valentin. That's K R I S V A L L O T T O N dot com. And you, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. So if you're on any social network, you can probably find me. Chris has a blog as well that I want to encourage you to get a hold of. It's 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 daily, like it's five days a week. I get all of his blogs, and also he has probably over twelve books, but I know of twelve of them. And I um just went through again your prophetic manual. It's my third time through it, just because I was just seeing how you dream the prophetic and how God's given you the theology for it. And it's so good, you guys. It's so practical, and will take you on a learner's journey for the prophetic. But there's so many uh, good resources there. Of course, they have the school, they have the church, and Chris is just a great pioneer, obviously. You've just heard that. Thanks for so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. God bless you. Bless you, too. 
Growing up with God is a resource that we created because we believe in children's ability to partner with heaven and hear God's voice. Just like Bill Johnson says, there's no junior Holy Spirit. And parents ask me all the time, when did this start with you? And I tell them it was when I was a little kid that I started to hear God's voice and prophesy over people because I grew up in a nurturing environment that helped me to understand how God lives in me and how to access his voice in his heart. So my parents put me on that journey and as Sri and I were developing different materials, we had to slow down for kids because we knew that they needed a resource as well. So we developed Growing Up With God, the novel, and had a blast writing it. It's really identity book. It's hearing God's voice for yourself, developing that personal relationship with him. Then we created a workbook for kids. You can go through it with them, parents, but this book is for kids. It's amazing. And we also, in addition to that, created a teacher's guide and a whole course that Sunday schools, homeschools, families can go through small groups. And this is an incredible couple hundred page teacher's guide. It has parent points, it has teacher points, activations, perforated pages. And all of this is framed by this beautiful illustration so that kids from seven to 12 can easily relate across that generational gap. And I know your kids are gonna enjoy this. They're gonna go on a journey. We've had so many incredible reports from parents who said we didn't know how to help our kids access the prophetic and this resource changed everything for us it was a game changer for our family so i'm going to encourage you get growing up with god get the novel we even have a coloring book a workbook the teacher's guide the kit i want to encourage you whatever level you think your kids are at grab hold of the resource and material and see what god will do for them